Young Academy Groningen presents Humans of Rug. Hi, my name is Yuri. I study international relations and international organizations at Rug. And apart from that, I'm also a member of the Dutch military. I'm in the Royal Netherlands Navy. Hi, my name is Susanne Voorrieps. I'm a PhD candidate in the Department of Cardiology in the UMCG. And I'm also an uh, 800 meter athlete on the track. My name is Julian Bussoff. I'm studying uh, economics and international relations and international organizations. And I am also the chairman of the Labour Party in the municipality of Groningen. And your host, Lucas Lindsay. Hello. And Casper van der Kooi. Hello. From the Young Academy. Find the podcast at humansofrug.nl or in all the common podcast players. Okay, Julian, let's start with you. Um, can you tell a bit more what do you do at the university and, and particularly what do you do on the side? Yeah, so in university I'm studying economics and also international relations and international organizations. And next to that I am in politics, which means for me that I am the chairman of the Labour Party in Groningen. Um, so I, I am a member of the Municipality Council in uh, Groningen. And you, Suzanne? Uh, after finishing medical school one and a half years ago, I started my PhD. And uh, yeah, on the side I, uh, I'm an 800 meter athlete and... Um, yeah, I've been uh, Dutch champion for three times and uh, represented uh, the Netherlands in the European uh, Championships in the last couple of years. And who, how did you get to the Navy, Yuri? Uh, well, in this case, it's kind of the other way around. I started at the Navy um, and and then I actually last year started the international relations and international organizations. So I'm in the second year now. And apart from that, I currently work uh, for the communications department of the Navy. So uh, I mainly work as a photographer and a media producer, let's say. Okay, and does that mean that you will also be sent out and on a mission and you'll be crawling through the mud and, and, and <laughs> no, ca- no, capturing no. enemies? Currently, the, um, the study is, is my priority. I studied like for the... I, I followed the... Koninklijk Instituut voor de Marine, which is like the Royal Netherlands Naval Academy, the Officers uh, Academy, let's say. Uh, I started there for one and a half years um, to become actually a navigational officer. I did like that, but I didn't finish it because I liked I liked sailing, I liked the Navy, uh, the military life, let's say. But I didn't really like the job perspective, let's say, uh, of being a navigational, of a watch officer. Uh, which I can explain later on uh, in detail, but um, but I kept working for the Navy and ended up in communications because I already was a photographer before joining the Navy, so it kind of rolled from there unplanned, uh, but I also wanted to finish a bachelor, a bachelor, so I came here to Groningen because I really liked this bachelor, um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it works out that way. But how is it to combine studies and working at the same time? Um, in some cases, actually, influences each other so I can use the knowledge I gain from the studies over there or vice versa because I have quite a lot of work experience um, so I have like a lot of examples that I can use in class uh, to discuss certain topics which is very nice. Can you give an example? Um, well I'm invited I think for this podcast because I actually was told by Lucas Lindsay last year um, and I wrote a paper about um, Al-Qaeda and about the situation in Afghanistan which I haven't been there myself um, let, let's let's make that clear but I I did like have a lot of knowledge because my colleagues I, I had colleagues who went there and um, I've found something that was really worth looking into more well uh, deeply isn't the right word I think but more in detail um and I could use like colleagues and actually talk to colleagues who have been there as a as a source of information that I didn't like quote as a source in the paper, but for my own like research really helped. Um, and vice versa, I think it's nice that if I go on working for the Navy, I can use the research skills that I gained here to, um, well, to work on certain policy maybe in future or, um, well, even in communications, it's helpful. Yeah, great. That makes sense. Yeah. What is your average working week and studying week look like or your month when you combine your two, um, yeah. two things you do? Now, um, my month, let's say, because weeks differ a bit, um, I in general work 10 like hours a week uh, for the Navy, but in reality that's sometimes like two hours one week and then like 20 hours the other week because there's a project or because we have something that's really important at that moment and the other week there's not that much going on. I do try to plan my, my weeks vigorously because... Um, it is a busy schedule, and if I plan it, then it's fine. Um, but in general, let's say um, I, I 
try to do most of the work for the Navy on one day. I was lucky, for example, to plan my, my roster, my schedule from the rug that I have actually two weeks, of two weeks, two days off. So I don't have classes, I don't have lectures. And I can say, okay, one of those is just a study day and the other one is like fully only work day. But of course, if you work in communications, you will get calls from people every day. I mean, not every day, but you can get calls every day. So then, yeah, you have to schedule a meeting, maybe right before or after a seminar, which is not ideal. But <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, most of the people don't have like a part-time job as I do. So you need to take that to, into account. Um, and yeah, sometimes I do need to work in weekends a bit more, therefore. Mm. And, you know, if I plan everything correctly, then then I have also some free time and I can do some nice things. I'm part of the sailing association, very typical, by the way, uh, as well. <laughs> um, but, the, yeah, that doesn't have the priority. So, for example, last week I was a bit sick, uh, which doesn't happen often. But, you know, I got the flu and therefore I couldn't do a lot for a few days. Well, that kind of screwed up the planning. So that meant that when I kind of recovered, I had to work the whole weekend because I was behind on work and study and that, that that is an example that sometimes it doesn't work out that well but normally if you plan anything then one week is fine and it can be like monday is just only studying and watching lectures and doing readings and tuesday is a bit of both and then friday is just for example uh, yesterday we had a casting day because we're producing this video series so we're gonna make video essays explainers and we're gonna have presenters that are actually part of the navy themselves so not external ones or no and you can imagine that the casting process is quite important because not everyone is that easy in front of the camera. So we had a whole day, uh, which was online, which was great because I could use, just do it from my home. But I have made sure that my, my room is, is like, it's, it's as much as an office that is like, it's, it's more an office kind of than a student house sometimes or a room because it is, you know, I, I do have a lot of audio and video equipment to be able to work from home and it's quite funny i think you might remember that that people always think oh do you make podcasts or something because it's like this quite professional microphone in front of my computer because i do a lot of meetings but i also do voiceovers and stuff so i have i i already had like all this equipment and then covid hit and people like oh did you buy that for like meetings like no no that would be too expensive it's for work but you know it it helps (laughs) so So in one of the classes you were in the navy base right because i remember you were in uniform on my computer screen yeah yeah normally of course i i would never do that uh actually i don't think i have i was in uniform in class I, i i don't think i i would have done that but i might have been in like one of the meetings where we're discussing the paper um because during covid we didn't have like physical classes everyone's online so then i was a bit more in den helder and i was sometimes like just a week there and then i just worked from there or i studied from there as well uh so yeah then you had like chips on the background exactly <laughs> for me it's two things apart mm. I, I i'm sitting here now because i do think it's nice that um people know what we do and i work for communication so i uh i, I don't don't mind being like a representative for the navy in that sense but if i'm a student i'm a student like that's also why i'm not sitting in uniform here now um i just in groningen i'm just a student who happens to be in the navy and there of course it's the other way around but yeah but yeah you have seen me in den helder that's true (laughs) so planning is key (laughs) i mean if there's one thing i learned in the military it's planning 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 is is key key. that really does help yeah (laughs) i I bet that resonates with you as well Susanna. you said you train you need to train 20 hours a week that's a lot in addition to doing a phd um can you tell us a bit how you your average working week and training week looks like yeah uh for me it's also the case that every week is quite different uh but i think uh, what's uh, typical for a PhD job uh, at our department is that there are some responsibilities which uh, for which you really need to be there, and uh, those are also for me uh, the ones which are uh, which have priority over training or things like that. And there's also a lot of uh, tasks and work you can do in your own time, you know, like writing or uh, working on papers and things like that. And um, also in COVID times, it became a lot easier to do certain things from home, which also gives you more. Uh, flexibility so um, yeah in a in an average week uh, I would be um, at work for I think yeah three or four uh, days per week and I I work full-time but I would uh, go to the track every evening and then if you have a second training on the day you do it either before work or in lunch break for example which is more easy if you have a, a work from home day and you can just start working and uh, go for a run uh, during lunch and then uh, 
continue work, yeah, or continue work after training. Yeah, you you just have to fit in, and um, yeah, what's not really ideal is that um, if you don't be careful, then you end up to be always working at home when you're not training because you can always right, yeah. do more. And it, yeah, the deadline of a PhD is after four years, right? So it's never finished until that deadline. So uh, yeah, you have to be uh, careful not to uh, ask too much from yourself. But I think, yeah, especially because you have to perform on the track, you're really, or I'm really aware of um, where I am in stress levels, for example. You know, you can have one week of stress or two weeks of stress, but um, if it continues for uh, too long time, you will it will reflect in your performance. So yeah. um, that's also why you, if I have a heart rate which is uh, a few beats higher, I, I will notice because I'm constantly, uh, yeah, thinking about how I can be physically uh, better than I used to be. So that's also sort of a safety measure that you know, oh, maybe I'm asking too much. I need to be careful. I need to sleep a bit more or something like that. And what is the more difficult race? Is it the running or is it the PhD in four years? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm, yeah, four years is quite a long time. So, <laughs> but yeah, as I think we have all of the, th the three of us all have said in this uh, podcast already, like planning is key. So, um, you know, for a competition year or an athletics year, you also have to make a very strict planning because you're working towards maybe one race in the whole year, which is the most important one. For example, at the national championships or the Europeans and everything you do, uh, all 20 hours a week are maybe uh, uh, building on towards that moment in a year's time. And because I have done that for so many years, yeah, I don't find it really difficult in a PhD to plan ahead. So I think that, yeah, that's one of the points uh, where my PhD life benefits from my uh, sports mm -hmm. career. So, you know, if you want to achieve something in a year, yeah, you start planning uh, uh, backwards and until you are where you are right now and then you just uh, do the job. Yeah. And Suzanne, so how many hours a week do you have to train? Yeah, that depends. Um, every month is a bit different because we have a, a sort of periodized uh, season and uh, in competition seasons for example the focus is mostly on quality while in training um, months of training you will be doing more quantity so the hours will be a bit more but it's usually between uh, 14 and um, yeah 15, 14 around 14 hours I would say maybe 14 to 20 yeah Every week? Every week, yeah. So once or twice a day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And is it is it just running or do you also go to the gym and get power exercises, these kind of things? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a lot of running, but you can do a lot of different types of running. So uh, from sprints to interval training to endurance runs. Uh, we also do sometimes things on the, on the bike to um, uh, get to the conditional level without the um, effect on your lower legs. Uh, and also, of course, uh, in the gym, strength training and things like that. Yeah, definitely. And do you feel it's more supporting your work as a PhD student or is it more of, a, of, of an obstacle in the <laughs> sense that, that you're doing both at the same time? Because it seems like two full-time jobs that you are accomplishing. Yeah, it sometimes feels like that as well. I think though most of the time it's really um, just beneficial because, uh, you know, after a long day of work where you maybe had some stress, uh, you have to go to trading, so you immediately get your stress release as well. And uh, if you're home, maybe you're tired, but you're happy, healthy, uh, going to sleep, you know, so you're uh, ready the next day to continue. It, I think it makes me a bit more efficient, but of course, there's always weeks where everything comes together and it's really challenging and you have to be very flexible and then, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you also told us that you have to travel a lot for the competition. So maybe you can say a bit about that. So Yeah, in uh, normal uh, competition seasons without COVID, we also have a lot of competitions uh, abroad. So some of them are in the Netherlands, but they're also in uh, the countries around, mostly in Europe, fortunately. Um, but then if you have to go there in the weekends, then uh, yeah, you really have to plan everything very well to make sure that that's possible at work and uh, you know yeah you cannot be in two places at the same time <laughs> exactly um, so yeah that's always a challenge but i have learned um in the yeah past couple of years that you know if you are able to communicate about that clearly and you know um you can tell people what they can expect from you then there's a lot of things which are possible yeah and you julian how do you combine the two um busy well, parts of your life yeah well 
to be honest, I prioritize my political work over my studies most of the time. I think that's because, you know, if I don't show up in a lecture, for instance, or in a seminar, then it's only on me. And when I don't show up in a meeting for my political work, then it affects also my colleagues and sometimes even the policy things in the municipality. So the responsibility, at least for me, it feels like I have a bigger responsibility towards politics than my own studies. So if it comes to it, then I will always uh, prioritize politics. Um, and it's also quite demanding to combine it with studies because, well, one, um, of course, you have quite some meetings in politics. And um, so my schedule is quite busy. Um, and at the other hand, politics never stops. So, you know, there's always a journalist wanting to know something or someone sending in WhatsApp or an email or whatever. So you can always be involved in politics, which makes it sometimes quite hard to focus on my studies um, because then I'm studying and someone or something pops up on my phone. Um, so that's the challenge, I think. Um, at the other hand, yeah, it should be doable. And I'm still studying and still pursuing my career in politics. So as far as it goes right now, it's still fine. And has, has your political career been advantageous for your study study progress in, in any way? Maybe your time management, but also more like in, like in Yuri's case that you say like, oh, I got this from my political career, my political work, I, and this is really useful uh, for my studying. It helped me in that sense. Well, it helps me, I think, in the way that you learn to manage stressful situations and um, of course if you are also working in a political environment and studying international relations which is a quite political oriented study then there are sometimes uh, advantages of my study which I take with me in my political life or from my political life to my studies but it's not that on a daily basis it's very concrete that I say well this is what I got from my political work which I take back to my studies or vice versa. And how did it come about? How did you get into politics? <laughs> That's a good question because, of course, as a child, I wasn't dreaming of being a politician, uh, more like uh, being a professional soccer player or something like that. <laughs> and that didn't work out clearly. But um, at some point um, in high school, I think I was always uh, speaking out when I felt something wasn't right or I felt something was, uh, if there was something injustice or whatever then I always spoke out um, and I was always interested in what's happening in the media in the political life etc so um, then I decided to do an internship in politics during my high school because I already did an internship in a shop in healthcare in a school etc and I wanted to do something differently um, and I really liked it so after I finished my high school I started studying and thought well let's become active in politics which was what I did and then how it works in politics you need some luck to be elected sometimes um, and at some point uh, when I was 21 years old I got elected uh, in the municipality and from that moment on it went quite yeah quite fast everything yeah and the chairman and because I have a, a funny story about that because uh, I uh, a few months ago, I came out of Albert Heijn in, in Helperplein, and I saw a huge poster of you <laughs> with your name, and the name looked familiar, and it wasn't immediately clear why I knew your name. And then at home, I typed it in my computer, and then I saw that you had been registered for my course, ah, but I also saw that there was no grade, and then yeah. it all made sense that you probably didn't have time to attend to, the class. Yeah. No, but I think it, that was during the elections, uh, for the national elections, uh, you saw those posters uh, with my picture and my name on it yeah exactly and you got very close i i then i did make some research and oh, I, I yeah, saw that yeah, you got yeah, very yeah. close to going to the hague right that's yeah that's true yeah so during the national elections i was also a candidate for parliament um for my party the labor party and although on forehand the polls showed that i would be elected the election result was quite dramatic for my party so then yeah that's how it works sometimes in politics i didn't get elected which is of course slightly disappointing but on the other hand i have my studies here in groningen my political work my social life here in groningen so i'm still quite happy in groningen hmm. how many years have you been active now as a politician um well i started i think uh of course, I did the internship during high school, but afterwards I didn't really do much with politics because I had to finish my high school. And when I started studying, I um, yeah, I joined the, the Labour Party, and I think that's for six years now. And already uh, a nearly elected uh, member of parliament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what have been your 
greatest successes or best moments uh, in your athletics career so far? No? Um, it's always hard to choose because there are a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, every uh, achievement has its own story, I think. But if I would have to choose one, it would be uh, uh, getting selected for the European Championships in uh, COVID times because last year or the COVID period has been a, quite a difficult period for athletes with, uh, first of all, um, yeah, a lot of restrictions. First, we were not allowed to train on the track or not allowed to train in the team. And uh, a lot of competitions got cancelled, of course. And in the winter, there were also some weather problems in the in the area. So due to snowstorms, a lot of uh, chances uh, passed by. And then, you know, there's, there was this one race where it had to happen and we had to qualify uh, running a certain standard. And um, it was also a race in which I had to show a lot of initiative because... Um, yeah, you know, sometimes other runners uh, make the pace and sometimes you have to do it yourself. Um, so when that happens, and it was also the qualification of my first real European championships, I think that, uh, yeah, that would be the moment I would choose. Yeah. So can you elaborate on what, what, what does it mean and you have to take initiative during a race? I can imagine this being the case in, in Tour de France uh, when you, you're on the bike all day, but 800 meters, how, 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 how should I... How should I picture that? Yeah, in uh, races where people run want to run fast, there's often a pacemaker who does, for example, 400 or 450 meters of the pace in front. And then afterwards, um, yeah, you can either look at your competitors and decide to wait and uh, try to finish first, for example. And then usually it's not really beneficial to be the first one to, to go for it because everyone can chase you and uh, mm -hmm. take over. Uh, but if you want to run fast, that's not really an option. So sometimes you just have to take over the pace and then run through the pain and, uh, and the lactic and, uh, and finish it as fast as possible. And yeah, that's a quite a difficult way to race. But for some people it, it works and others have different tactics. I usually don't have that tactic because it not so, it's not always the, the way um, I perform best, but now it was the only option. So when yeah, it succeeded, it was sort of a, a, a yeah an accomplishment, I think. Yeah. It's also very interesting that you talk about it very much as a team sport, because for me, just somebody you're watching run sometimes, it seems like it's very much about individual, something you do alone, but apparently that's not the case. So you train as a team and also in the race, it, it's very much as a group. Yeah, there's a lot of dynamics, exactly. And uh, it depends what, yeah, what your purpose of the race is, of course. If you just want to run fast, you can uh, do it on your own. But yeah, if you want to win, then you're, of course, dependent on each other and each other's moves. And uh, there's a lot of tactics involved as well. So when, yeah, when do you decide to go or to take over? And I think that's the most interesting part of the game also, because you, know, you cannot always... Um, Yeah, you can make uh, certain plans or maybe say I have a plan A, plan B, plan C, but then you never know what's really going to happen and you have to yeah, make a decision in the moment. Yeah, and your teammates, are they also based around Groningen or they're all over the Netherlands? So, so how do you train together if you're spread all over the country? No, we're uh, based in Groningen actually. I run at uh, Team Viermel, uh, which is a running team in Groningen of approximately 30 athletes and uh, we have athletes from 100 meter to the marathon so it's really a diverse group of a lot of people who are also studying and um, yeah that the good thing about that is that you can do almost every training together with others if you would want so I can for example do my interval or endurance training with uh, maybe uh, 5k runners and do the sprint training with uh, 400 meter runners and then you also yeah as 800 meter runner you have to do many aspects of physiological training all different kinds of training so you you can yeah make all different combinations which makes it very uh, diverse actually yeah and you really can you can you give us an example of something you're really proud of in your well work in the navy let's say for the work part working for communications we are responsible for internal and external communications so that is internal between the organization itself from the top to the bottom let's say but what you can all like all see is the external communication and it ranges from social media um and from um working with journalists or working with media production companies that want to tell a story about us um, but it's mainly about showing the world what we do and why it's important. So for me, it's either uh, making photos or video productions myself or with, with our team 
and if those photos end up in like a newspaper or on a website or a lot of people seem to like it then it's of course very nice not because it has my name on it because it doesn't have my name on it <laughs> and it doesn't have to but because people like what we do and like to get to know more about what we do uh, last year for example I produced a uh, Um, like a short interview series where we let veterans interview each other and I was an older veteran and a younger veteran and for the record most people think veterans are like old people from World War II but it's also you can also be 22 and a veteran if you have been like to Afghanistan or Mali or um, on an anti-piracy mission And we let these young veterans interview the older veterans who are actually out of service now. And it became a really interesting conversation because there was a lot of overlap, obviously, but also yeah, a lot has changed. And I think one of the most fun episodes was where, where two women were talking to each other, where the older one was one of the first ones, I think, who, who joined the Navy at that point when it was allowed. And like her work was completely different. She was basically a administrator um, and and but she she loved it anyway so she loved all her adventures and the younger one was actually um uh, a technical um was in charge of like uh, all weapon systems on board um and had like a lot of people uh, like that she was in charge of and and guided and it, it couldn't have been more different and still it was there was so much overlap and it was really fun to see how genuine that conversation was and all the reactions let's say of all the people who really loved that video so then especially that like the reception of that is really nice and something else is um, when we don't make th things ourselves either photos or videos but when we uh, help journalists who want to tell a story or that, that can be like journalists who are interested in making uh, a short documentary series or something and really want to work directly with us or who just have critical questions, which is, of course, also very important that journalists can ask critical questions about the, the Navy, which often happens, obviously, um, but that you can guide it in the right direction and, and not like guide it in like the way you want it to frame or something, but just, you know, give factual information and, and help them the best way you can. Uh, last summer... For example, we were in Rotterdam for the Wereldhavendagen, the World Port Days. And that was actually the first time since what COVID hit that we had like a big event where we could show ourselves, like, hey, this is what we do and you can come visit our ships. And and it was lovely to see people, well, come and, and, and like, it was a really big attraction, let's say, in Rotterdam at that point. Uh, but there was also a lot of journalists. And then I, together with my colleague, were in charge of, you know, well, guiding them. And then I'm really happy and proud if, like, at the end of the week, there's, like, a few nice radio interviews and a television, like, uh, reporter and, and some photographers who are also really happy themselves. And especially if then the, our, like, Navy personnel who gets interviewed is also happy with the result because not everyone likes to be on camera, especially if they're wearing a uniform because they're, like, yeah, it can be, like, dangerous and maybe I want to do, like, intelligence, like, positions in the future. So it's, it's quite hard sometimes to get people in front of that camera. Like, we cannot always, like, jump in front of it ourselves. We'd, we'd much rather have, like, the, com the commander of a ship actually stand there instead of, like, us. Hi, I'm a communications advisor. Um, but, yeah, if that works all, if that all works out, that makes us really happy. Mm. Have you been away on missions yourself? Uh, no, I have been on a lot of training uh, exercises and missions. Um, I joined the Navy in 2018. So that was the Officers Academy, like I said, the Royal Netherlands mm -hmm. Naval Academy um, for one and a half years. And in that period, I did like go still, like I went on a lot of training exercises for our own education. And um, I mean, that's, I wouldn't say proud, but it's one of the things I liked the most in, in my experiences uh, on those journeys, because we, we went from uh, Norway to Iceland, we went from Spain till, to England to France, we went uh, a lot, like we were in the East, East Sea, like the, the Baltic Sea a lot as well. Um, and those are great experiences. Mm -hmm. But I haven't been like on an actual um, mission, let's say, because I didn't like finish that navigation officers course let's say that i did and then i went working for communications um for one and a half year full time before i started these studies and in that half year i think two months were normal and then covid hit so i was for example i was going to go also like to the caribbean islands and i was maybe going to join something else i did go on a lot of training missions there as well but then just as a reporter let's say or like a communications advisor and not being part of like the operational crew just there for media 
things. <laughs> right, right. Well, you've seen a lot of the world already in that well, sense. In, in my case, mainly Europe. But uh, in, in future, I hope, of course, to... Um, well, I, I've joined the Navy, so I'd like to see the world, let's say. And you'd like to live on a warship for I mean, the future. I, I live on a warship... It's it's I think it's something that's that's nice for a certain period of time. I, I have never had any problem with being away from home for a long time, and I have sailed my whole life. Um, so being on the water on like a ship that that um, yeah that doesn't really bother me at all. Actually, I love it. Um, so I don't mind being away for a few months. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, It, it fits me, let's say. But I, I, obviously, I cannot do that now because now I am like a full-time student. And, you know, just to be clear, it is uh, the priority now. It's not also, it's not like the Navy is paying me for the studies or something. I mean, they pay me my salary, sure. But this is now my priority. And like for the time being, I'm in the Royal Netherlands Navy Reserve. So that makes me a bit more flexible and I have like more flexible hours. So I can only do like... Yeah, it, it's easier to manage it besides studies, let's say. But the intention is to um, to continue doing this full-time again after the studies, which is a bit weird because I kind of have, um, like, I kind of want to do the job that I did and are doing already uh, before and during the studies. Um, and I think that that's kind of a luxury that a lot of people don't know what they want to do after the studies, and I kind of already have that. <laughs> So all three of you, uh, you're studying at the same time. You have very busy other careers. So it, it sounds like you have extremely busy lives. So are there moments where you just think, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I'm going to quit with one of those. Me, Suzanne. Well, uh, yeah, that was also one of the questions you asked us uh, in preparation, right? Like what, what kind of sacrifices do you have to make? Um, I always think, As soon as it starts to feel like sacrifice, you might want to reconsider pursuing two careers because it should more feel like a choice, I think, to um, be able to do it that way. Only if you really want it, um, then it's possible. And then there's also a lot of things possible. So, no, I have never really thought about it in that sense. On the other hand, you know, I think sports is different than uh, the kind of jobs you are doing in the way that um, you know there's an end date, right? Because you cannot be an athlete until you're uh, uh, going, uh, until you're 67. Um, and when that end date is, yeah, that's, um, there are times that I uh, think, okay, when will I be going to take that next step, you know, and, and moving forward? But um, yeah, at this moment, my, um, athletics career is going better than ever I would say so yeah and that moment has not arrived yet yeah and that must also be difficult to quit right uh, because I hear that often also from other sports people that that this <laughs> can be a very difficult moment yeah and yeah it starts to uh, become a way of life I think and you also are um, used and maybe a little bit addicted to uh, you know all the effects that sports give you um, But yeah, you you don't have to stop uh, doing sports, of course, if you stop yeah stop your professional career. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a difficult decision because it yeah it gives you experiences that you will never get again. But yeah, you also already know that it's temporary, right? And you never know what kind of injury you will get, and if from tomorrow on everything will be different, for example. So it's always a, yeah a bit of an insecure um, job or yeah yeah. yeah. And have you had struggles with injuries? In yeah, quite a lot actually, um, uh, or at least some uh, big injuries. So I, I broke my foot during a race once, which mm -hmm. cost me a year, and I tore my uh, uh, ligaments in my ankle, for example. Which can, uh, yeah, if, if something like that happens at the wrong moment, you'll yeah, you, it it takes a year to come back because you miss the comp competition season and you also start with a with a setback in your uh, winter training, for example. And those are also the times that yeah you of course can have the doubts like is this what I want because uh, rehabilitation training is not really the most fun and you're not around your uh, peers and also you know 
sport is a way of uh, coping. And then at the time you need your coping the most, you're not able to do that. So that can be quite difficult. But yeah, looking back, those are also the times you have learned a lot from pursuing the both careers, right? And the fact that you were able to come back sometimes can also give you more confidence in a race or in a difficult time, so. Julian, have you ever had moments that you were thinking, is this the life I want to live? Um, <laughs> yes, sometimes, but it's in general, I like what I do and I'm very happy with the fact that it's possible for me to pursue a political career and studying at the same time. And also that I've been given the chances I have to become a uh, yeah, chairman in, the, in politics. Um, so in general, I'm happy, but sometimes, yeah, of course, I think uh, I might do something else. For instance, last night I had uh, negotiations about the new budget for the municipality, which is presented today. And that du- that was uh, during the night and I saw friends of mine having drinks. And then I am sitting there with a budget and a difficult <laughs> conversation, <laughs> for instance. And I might think well, so at some point, well, I like to have a beer as well, you know, but that's part of the job and I like what I do. So yeah, that's maybe not even really a sacrifice. And the one thing I sometimes don't like about uh, being in politics is, for instance, being on the <laughs> on the posters and with your hat and with your name and feeling sometimes that, yeah, not you cannot live totally in anonymity anymore. And also, you know, if I go to the city center and go out with friends, then I'm still a little bit aware of the fact that I'm also in politics and that I'm also uh, might, yeah, meet a journalist, etc. And being aware of that, that's sometimes not the best thing to have, but yeah. Right, it's just part of you the are a public, public person, yeah, right? Especially part of the in public yeah, yeah. life, yeah. Have you ever had to deal with, with the negative consequences of that, like someone being annoying or maybe even harassing you? Uh, well, not very uh, badly, but sometimes it happens. And in general, I think, you know, if people come to me and they want to discuss something, even when, when I'm with friends or having a dinner in a restaurant or in a cafe and people come to you, then it's still, I always think, well, maybe it's not the right time right now because I'm with my family or with my mm-hmm. friends and I don't, want to have this conversation at this moment but at the same time i always think well it's also part of what i do and i yeah think i encourage also people to yeah to speak out and to come to me with problems so that's always what i say to myself at that moment and then i still have the conversation so that's fine and being really harassed or something like that not really sometimes people are angry but yeah i feel like people have some reasons and most of the time they have good reasons to be angry so I still listen to them and as long as it isn't getting really yeah threatening or physical in a way then it's fine with me and I still can deal with it and it's the most the most common struggle is to balance the being approachable and having yeah and it's, time. And I'm, I want to be approachable and I think I am so um, then it's also fine to me if people come up to me in a pub or when I'm not really wanting to have the conversation but still have to then it's yeah, that's fine with me. But sometimes I think, well, it would be nice if you can do politics and not being in the public as well. But that's not <laughs> the thing. <laughs> but so far you've, you've avoided the headline of drunk party leader scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Communication-wise, it's still going fine. Uh, <laughs> but if I have something, uh, some troubles, I will maybe call you. Uh, <laughs> I guess so we'll to know how <laughs> Susanna, I bet this is something you can relate to, that you, you see your friends having a drink, having a beer, and you, you, you can't because you, you're in a training session or you will be in a training session the next day or there's a, there's a race coming up. How, how's that for you as an athlete? Yeah, definitely. Um, it comes with a lot of choices, I would say, and I think there's also room to uh, work uh, in uh, social events in your schedule, but yeah, of course, the spontaneity of things like that, you know, colleagues uh, going for a drink after work, yeah, those are things which uh, don't fit into every week, depending on where you are in your training or a competition schedule. So, um, yeah, those are, of course, the times when, yeah, what we were discussing before, like, if you really want it, you know where you're doing it, it's fine, but it can also be difficult. Um, on the other hand, you know, you have a certain schedule, you know which training you need to do, so because it's not really an option not to go, it also makes it easier to uh, yeah, to mm-hmm. pursue your schedule. I think as soon as it becomes an option to not do it or skip one or two or three, then um, you have to make the decision every time. And now you just, yeah, you already have planned for yourself what you are going to do. So if you just You don't stick really to have that, a choice to drink beer uh, well, yeah, a lot. If, if you don't give yourself the choice, then it's also easier to, yeah. uh, to do what you want. Yeah. 
what gives you this discipline? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think I'm uh, quite competitive, um, also towards myself. So I just really like, um, um, yeah, maybe stretching the boundaries for myself. Like, where where can you go? What can you do? And when I started uh, athletics, I was actually not very good at it. <laughs> I liked it. I was just very energetic. That's why I started. But I was not very good. And when I uh, moved to Groningen for my studies initially, I ran 217 in 800 meters. And now it's 202. So that's quite a big difference. So when I started, I uh, barely made the finals in the junior uh, championships, for example. But, you know, every time you make make a step and you um, find out that your body is capable of doing more and you learn to train in a smart way, you know, and uh, also use the phys- physiological aspects of what works for your uh, body, then, yeah, it, it's, it's just really, um, yeah, I cannot really describe the feeling it gives you, but if you can, you know, uh, surprise yourself about what you're capable of, that, that's just sort of, uh, yeah, very addictive maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, yeah that makes you want to discover what, what else you would be able to do, right? So that, I think that's the main drive. Yeah, I think that's actually very similar to what a lot of scientists have. That it's yeah. addictive to to learn new things and to be on top of your of the developments in your field. Do you have that as well as a PhD researcher? Yeah, I think it's uh, the ambition uh, works definitely in both careers. And um, you know, I also know that in long for long term goals, I want to be a, a medical specialist and and a mm-hmm. researcher. So um, those are the things which I will definitely end up doing and then sport will of course be uh, on the side so as long as I can combine it it's really nice but yeah it's also very good to know that um, as soon as you would do something else you can use your ambition in your uh, other career because your field is cardiology and you're doing a PhD now Um, I think that has a clear overlap with with sports but how do you envision that for the for the future uh, do you want to be a medical specialist for athletes or something like that or not necessarily? Well, my uh, PhD is about improving exercise tolerance in patients with heart failure. So it's already mm-hmm. like the clinical physiolog- physiological part uh, combined uh, yeah, with sort of exercise, sport exercise yeah. you could say. Um, and I think it would be very nice to be able to use your knowledge uh, from your other career also in your uh, in your worker and I think that's also possible especially uh, nowadays you know I think uh, global health uh, is an issue which is um, yeah really a current topic of debate also in the COVID, yeah, especially in the COVID times you know I think a lot of people became aware that yeah we might have to focus a little bit more on uh, lifestyle and uh, there's a lot of things you can do yourself um, to stay as healthy as possible and I think uh, uh, yeah, modern medicine also uh, uh, can really use uh, knowledge from sports to um, to provide um, healthcare. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but what is what what is your ambition in that sense? Where do you want to be in 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 some years' time? Uh, maybe when your sports career becomes more secondary because uh, because you grow older. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I cannot really look into the future, of course. But if I would have to choose now, I I could imagine um, being, for example, a sports cardiologist. So uh, being a a clinician, but also uh, having your own specialty in, um, uh, yeah, for example, also treating uh, sporters with diseases or helping regular patients through sports by uh, becoming healthier or something like that. But um, yeah, I I think... you know, if you stick to the things you really like to do, then uh, you'll end up in a place where you can combine all your knowledge. That will, I think it will work out if you right. stick yeah. to yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so in preparing for this podcast, actually, Yuri shared with us that he almost voted for you, Julian. <laughs> so can you tell us more I about that? I imagine my surprise when I saw your name on the list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe that's the reason you're not in the, uh, in not the in parliament. Well, act. I don't I, think, uh, but maybe, yeah, every vote counts, right? <laughs> I did vote for the party, actually, in oh, the really? end. But okay. um, I voted for someone who was... What, what I liked was that because you did the same studies, and yeah. I think it's really important that there will be more young people in parliament as well, and also you're a Groninger. Yeah. But then I ended actually up uh, voting for a lady a bit more down the list who also worked for... Uh, 
NATO, NAVO, for the NATO, which I found fitting because it was like, okay, I want to vote for this party, socialist program and all. But uh, I also find it really important that uh, there is a clear focus on um, Do you remember who safety. it was? Yeah, uh, I need to look. I think it was... Hun- was it Lena Fromans? I oh, think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know her. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. got the name correct, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and I th- because I think that it isn't a like party program, uh, defense and security, but I think there's not that much focus on. And she had that focus, and I actually yeah, got, sure. could ask her some questions about it, since she was very nice in answering. So it was okay. She deserves my vote, and you probably would have been a fine choice as well. But you know, fine second choice. It's, um, it became second choice. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's yeah. perfectly but fine. I mean, I'm in already the end, glad that some young people voted for my party because that's in general yeah. quite challenging for us. Yeah. And no. Yuri still gets the chance to correct his error next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for the municipality. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, yeah. if I'm getting my spot on the list again. Uh, yeah, because so. in the end, both of you, Lena and you, didn't end up in. Uh, no. Yeah, sadly. Yeah, so in, in what you, how do you see yourself in, in, in the future? Like, uh, I, I guess that's combining the studies with work is a is a like a temporary thing. Yeah. Right? At some point, you are going to finish your studies. So you envisage <laughs> to be a full time politician or um, or to pursue two different kinds of careers, maybe. Well, I'm not really sure. Of course, I like politics for now. So yeah, if it's up to me, I would like to be in politics for a few years longer. But yeah, it always depends whether your party gives you a good spot on the voting list, of course. So actually right now I am again in the process of getting a good spot on the uh, local voting list for the next uh, municipality council elections. Um, And it's always, yeah, a challenge to get that spot uh, to be elected. And also, yeah, if you have a good spot, then still you need to be elected. Um, So it's quite... um, yeah, insecure, let's say, whether you will end up in politics and for how long you will be in politics. Um, so I don't know where I will be in 10 years or in five years. Um, but hopefully I'm for the coming years, yeah, I will be in politics. And also, um, I think there are also other things I would like to do in my life. I wouldn't be, yeah, I wouldn't like it to be a politician for the rest of my life, I think. So I really enjoy it at, the, at this moment and maybe even in 10 years or maybe even in 20 years, I still enjoy it. But yeah, I could also imagine myself um, working for a refugees organization, for instance, or maybe ending up with having my own small restaurant when I'm older. <laughs> so there are quite some other things I would like to do as well. Yeah, can you say a bit more about the so the daily work as politician? You're just saying that you're in in the running to get a, a spot. So yeah. So what do you have to do to get a good spot? Yeah. Well, in my daily political life right now, I'm like the faction chairman. So it means that yeah, I'm of course a representative, having my debates, preparing for the debates, uh, speaking with other people to get my information, etc. And being the chairman means also that all that you have to solve most of the problems. That's also part of my job problems within my faction problems within the coalition because we are in the coalition so that means we are in the executive board of the municipality um, and that also means that you have quite some uh, yeah, meetings and negotiations about yeah, the policy things in the municipality for instance last night like I said I had uh, the last the final negotiations about the budget um, and that's also part of my job um, so that's I think in short um, my uh, yeah my daily business and to answer your question what do you have to do to get a nice spot on the list of a party i think for every party um they are looking for people who are well they say they call it in touch with the people so Mm -hmm. and uh you have to be well uh able to yeah present your own views in a good way and you have to be able to debate but you also have to be able to uh yeah um really get to um, getting really concrete, uh, how do you say it? Well, yeah, it's also very important that you don't only have ideals and that you can have a nice story and that you can inspire people, but you also have to, um, yeah, score concrete points, let's say. So you really want to achieve something. I mean, you're not in politics for just uh, telling a nice story. You are in politics, at least for me also, to, um, yeah, to achieve something for the people you represent. So that's, I think, also one of the important things a party will 
yeah, focus on when they are selecting their representatives. And hopefully I did the last years, I did something good and they say, and they see it and they say, well, um, we are enjoying or we are happy with the way you worked and your achievements. So um, you get a nice spot on the list for the next uh, elections. And what is your personal top priority at the moment? What would you, are you trying to change in Groningen right um, now? Well, there are quite a lot of things, but I think the housing crisis, I mean, that's uh, for everyone uh, a very big thing. So a lot of students uh, struggling with finding affordable housing. Um, in Groningen, we also have quite some slumlords which are taking advantage of especially, mm -hmm. for instance, international students. So I think that's one of the top priorities for me uh, to focus on. And I'm also happy, I think it's not announced yet, but later today it will be announced, so I can say it already, that we will, uh, yeah, put some more money into fighting slumlords and uh, also um, to make sure that there's enough housing for students, etc. And also making sure that there's not only housing for students, but for every por uh, uh, person in Groningen. So yeah, I think fighting that uh, housing crisis is one of my top priorities. But yeah, at the same time, if you uh, let me talk a little bit longer, I will come up with fighting poverty <laughs> and uh, education, etc. Uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah. No, but this, is, this is very timely. It was just, just a few weeks ago that yeah. students occupied, occupied the academy building. The, the, so, uh, yeah, yeah. And I could imagine why they did it. And actually, three years ago, there was also an occupation of yes. the uh, academy building. And I was there myself as well. So... <laughs> I right. really could relate to those students and I've, yeah, I think we should as a society and especially as a municipality, we should uh, make sure that everyone has affordable housing because having a roof about, above your head is one of the most basic things you need to yeah, have a proper life. Um, it's a, you know what battle you're fighting, that's very good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for passing by. It has been fascinating to hear about your lives and works. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. We wish you all the best with your uh, dual careers. And uh, we hope to hear and see more of you in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Rug by the Young Academy Groningen. Be sure to tune in to the next and please subscribe for free on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, for example. All the best from Lucas Lindsay. Goodbye. And Casper van der Kooi. Ciao.